big a Star Wars fan are you? What did you feel the first time when you saw the Millennium Falcon jump into hyperspace in Episode 4, A New Hope? And do you still feel the same way when you see it again today? Are you 50 years old plus and still have a lightsaber on your bookshelf? What is the future of mechanical prosthetics in the medical industry? You think about the difference between cyborgs such as Darth Vader and robots such as R2-D2 and C-3PO. And finally, how do you build the Death Star? More importantly, how does the Death Star move? And finally, how does the Death Star generate enough power to create a beam of energy that can destroy a planet? I hope you will join me in this five-part exploration on the science of Star Wars with Dr. Ben Lachlan. Ben Lachlan is a healthcare executive, and in addition to his medical expertise, he is also a degreed astrophysicist, so we can get to the truth behind some of the most exciting aspects of Star Wars. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to a special five-part podcast series on greetings and felicitations. In this series, Ben and I are going to have a lot of fun talking about some of the science of Star Wars. We're going to explore scenes from each one of the original three episodes that help illustrate some of these points and talk about where science may take us in the future. It's one of the most fun series that I've done, and I know you will enjoy it. This special series on greetings and felicitations, The Science of Star Wars, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This episode three, we take up mechanical prosthetics. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Dr. Ben Lockwin for our five-part series on exploring the science of Star Wars. In today's episode, we're going to turn to uh, perhaps a little more medical focus by looking at mechanical prosthetics. Our uh, scene here is comes from the second uh, of the original trilogy, The Empire Strikes Back, now episode five, at, uh, near the end of the movie in a battle scene between Darth Vader and Luke. Darth Vader uh, slices off Luke's forearm or at least above his wrist. And in the final scene of the, uh, the movie, he is in, in some sort of a medical care facility, and he's had his wrist replaced uh, with uh, not simply a prosthetic, but a mechanical prosthetic that mimics the uh, action of a real wrist, hand, and fingertips. He's shown being tested uh, yeah. if he has feeling, and they show the... Um, it almost looks like vacuum tubes going up and down uh, inside before they put a layer of skin over it to give it a, a more of a human appearance. So, Ben, uh, this is something that uh, in science fiction we've talked about in uh, books and movies uh, for, for many, many years. And if I can kind of uh, cross-reference another media, uh, it almost seems to me this was uh, what was used with the $6 million man um, with Lee Majors many, many years ago as well. But is that scene uh, realistic? Is it something that 
could be down the road for uh, medical science? Or what are your thoughts on that issue? We can rebuild him. <laughs> yeah, I think this one is is definitely eminently plausible. You know, we covered in the prior episode about how a lightsaber can't exist, cannot exist for a number of reasons. But should it remove a limb, it would cauterize the limb so that you didn't bleed out, which is what happened to Luke. Um, and as far as the mechanical prosthetic, definitely a thing. Uh, so for example, in Lausanne, Switzerland, there are surgeons who recently inserted devices into three patients' backs, uh, their spines. They had lost the ability to walk. And these devices were connected to nerves to send electrical signals to limbs as the brain normally would do. So the nerves were cut off from the central nervous system initially. So they have not been getting signals to their limbs for years from their brains. And now with these connected medical devices and its electrical impulses, they function in a way that is similar to normality. Um, so like I said, there, there were three patients so far that these have been implanted in and they can stand, walk, ride a bike, kick their legs in a swimming pool now. Now, what's interesting about this kind of thing, and like with Luke's hand with the fingers moving, is if you think about it, that if the devices were just electrical impulse machines that sent out a voltage, they would continuously signal muscles to contract. That's how our musculoskeletal system works. Uh, but that would just contract the muscle nonstop. So in order for sequential current to be deployed in a manner that is consistent with and approximates muscle contracting and relaxation to create movement. The devices are coupled with uh, an artificial intelligence, a, a machine learning unit, and that slowly begins to learn how to pulse and cease pulsing to create appropriate motion. So when to not signal is just as important as when to signal. Uh, unfortunately, we've had nearly, or we had nearly 20 years of continuous military conduct, contacts uh, and conduct over the past 20 years, starting with after 9-11 and up to the mm. um, fall of Afghanistan. And uh, one of the things about uh, war, unfortunately, is you have lots of in injured young men and women, but we also have had a lot of advances in medical science, particularly around prosthet prosthetics and rehabilitation, uh, even uh, for those with damaged nerves, is, is, is that a fair statement? And have you seen that kind of development and evolution uh, really over the past 20 years? Or is it more on a, a almost a standard progression? progression? I think that's a great question. I think that our prosthetic advances are coming very quickly these days. And they're, they're helped along in some way, fortunate or unfortunate, from our learnings on the battlefield. This is something that dates back to Napoleonic Wars through World War One, to uh, all the major conflicts. I don't want to, to miscategorize or miss one in the list, but some of what we do in triage in medical care now was derived directly from battlefields in Vietnam. Um, and so in all these wars, we learn things. Um, some have gone so far as to say that the number of people were able to help and or save after wars are over is greater than had we not had the war in the first place. But leaving that aside, I think definitely um, the, the battlefield 
accelerates our will to try to get better. Um, so definitely, definitely the case. Um, and it's too bad that it requires that sort of incentive to make it happen. Progress we've made, and you, you talked about, I hope I got this written, wrote, written down correctly, a sequential current must appoint a track to create motion and then overlaid with some type of either machine learning or artificial intelligence, mm. which can learn uh, to mimic those uh, muscle contractions. Is that really the next frontier or is it something else in terms of this topic? Yeah, I think that's definitely one of them in so far as what, for whatever limb or whatever it's used for, trying to have computers assist in um, the algorithm basically deciding what the user is intending. So it, it accelerates the learning curve. The machine learning system goes through a period of relearning. Then the onboard computer makes it much more efficient as time goes on. Um, and then those those computers modules would would get smaller and smaller, so it's not maybe like a battery pack looking thing over time. So it's it's definitely accelerating along that line of inquiry. The other one too is um, instead of just electrical impulses sequentiating muscle activity, it's also um, implantables within the brain to maybe help people who have lost. Um, activity, so where the activity should initiate in the brain, uh, which is really kind of a whole different line of uh, medical device treatment. So um, trying to restore certain things up at the top of the central nervous system rather than always only at the terminal end, you know, at the leg or the wrist or the shoulder or something. And to conclude, I'd like to pick up on one small point that I raised in kind of my opening discussion of the scene we were going to focus on. And that's where after we see the mechanical portion of the prosthetic uh, in action, there is a skin covering that's overlaid on on, on the mechanical portion and uh, to give uh, a more human appearance. Is that something that uh, is uh, either currently ongoing, or is that something that is possible down the road? I know we can have a skin graft and, and other um, additions of skin to, to places in the body where it may have been lost, but is that type of appearance also something that's being considered? Yeah, there's a lot of um, regenerative cell therapy work that's ongoing to try to create lab-grown skin. So while grafting, as you mentioned, can be done from the, the, the patient's own tissues, uh, making synthetic skin uh, is something that's definitely a work in progress. So I would say that's oh, on the lines of maybe 10 years down the road for some broader trials and maybe more widespread within the next 20 or so years. There was a lot of work going on um, with Harvard Medical School, Mass General Brigham, uh, trialing some of these technologies. So basically uh, creating lab-cultured skin in a Petri dish. And, you know, for it to go through all of the appropriate rigor and FDA testing, it takes, it takes some time. So even when it seems to be scientifically ready for prime time, it's not going to quite hit the market yet till it's tested. Well, but unfortunately, we are now at the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us in our next episode where we take up the issue of cyborgs versus robots. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Sounds great. Thank you, Tom. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Science of Star Wars in the Greetings and Felicitations podcast. As I said, this is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. You have a topic that you would like to explore over a five-part podcast series? It can be anything from history to science to the movies or anything else because you're only limited by your imagination. If so, please contact me and let's discuss having a five-part podcast series for you or your business on the Compliance Podcast Network, the only network dedicated to business risk, business ethics, compliance, and risk management. I'm Tom Fox, the founder of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join us again for our next episode on the science of Star Wars.